0: ION on 2020 episode 67 have 2020 vision with eye on 2020 the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election i am ray eaton and i will keep you up to date as we approach november 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news thank you for tuning in now let's clear our vision what's going on everybody this is ray eaton your host of ion 2020 uh your favorite place to come hopefully uh, for all of the news and related events for the 2020 election that's coming up. Uh, I appreciate you listening. I really do. If you're first time listening, uh, thank you. And come on back again tomorrow. And you can do that by subscribing to the show. You can also uh, give me a five-star rating and review if you like what you hear also. Um, but listen, I really appreciate all my listeners. And those of you that are, keep on coming back, it seems like we're getting more and more listeners every single day. and uh, And that is phenomenal. I run a website called... Eye on the Empire.com. And if you want to go there, you'll find some news and uh, related events, uh, not just the 2020 elections, though. On that website, I specifically try to focus in on some of the news coverage of foreign relations as well as some of these domestic things that are going on. But I really wanted it to be more of a foreign, you know, what are what our country is doing outside of its borders because that would be the idea behind empire building and that's what i really wanted to uh dive into when i started up i on the and you could also check me out on twitter and my twitter handle is at i on the empire believe it or not that is true so uh anyway go ahead if you can though keep on listening that's going to be the best way to do that is just to subscribe to the show and uh I was looking through some news pieces today, and I ran across an article on the Washington Post, and it's uh, written by Jennifer Rubin. And Jennifer Rubin is a journalist for the uh, Washington Post, and she's also, uh, if you look her up, she is a American neoconservative journalist who writes the Right Turn blog for the Washington Post. Uh, previously, she worked for the Weekly Standard and PJ Media and a few other uh, right-wing news media outlets and then she also gets published a lot on politico new york post and so forth so she's a neoconservative journalist and if you don't know what a neoconservative is it's just uh those people that are more um they're conservatives but they're you know very much for foreign intervention and america being like the dominant force in the united States, in in the world, right, having lots of intervention going on, being a force for good or a force for peace in the world, or whatever they try to you know spin it as, but the I mean we know what American foreign intervention has done in the last twenty years since uh, America invaded. Iraq and Afghanistan and we also see what American foreign intervention has done basically since the end of World War II really and even getting into World War I was a piece of American foreign intervention that you could kind of say if America did not get into that war it probably would have become a stalemate and eventually both sides would have had to just you know address this issue with peace and have some kind of end of that war through a peace treaty of some sort, right? But America gets in and would not accept anything except for complete surrender by the Germans, and that ultimately led to their downfall, which, you know, led to a country that was devastated, that has a really nationalistic view about things, and, you know, they're very proud to be German and blah, 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 Uh, and that ends up leading to a Hitler in a World War II, uh, ultimately, but also the Bolshe- Bolshevik revolution in Russia may not have ever happened if there was peace in twenty 20- er, in uh, not nineteen sixteen before the Bolshevik revolution happened so um, there 's a lot of things that the 20th century lo- looked way different if World War One never happened or if World War One was never intervened by the united states and i 'm not saying the United States caused all of that in general um nations do seem to pick sides in matters, but uh, we're looking at a, it seems like when another foreign power gets into something, especially a foreign power as powerful as the United States is and was at the time, um, with as many people in the industry that it had and so forth, it does create some uh, un intended consequences down the road and uh, we are seeing that today as well with a lot of the things that are going on in syria with a lot of things that went on in libya a lot of things that are going on in yemen uh, a lot of things that are going on in the african continent now you are seeing that that is the case that a lot of this foreign meddling that we are doing is not good but this jennifer rubin she is a neoconservative writer and i just wanted to bring this article to you because It really tells where the neoconservative movement is going, but it also tells you who they are allying with now, which is absolutely insane. So this is what I want to get at. Good news about Trump's foreign policy. He persuades very few. That is the uh, title of her article. Good news about Trump's foreign policy. He persuades very few. So she thinks that's very good news that he's not very persuasive uh, from the foreign policy aspect, she says, after more than two years of a presidency in which the commander in chief paints the United States as victims, our allies, or victims of our allies, undercuts the North American Treaty Organization, announces a withdrawal from Syria lavishes praise on dictators and declares he wants to charge allies for bases basing our troops overseas one could understand if large numbers of americans didn't think much of nato or the united states role in the world the good news is that president trump is awful at persuading people outside his base the bad news is that republicans do listen to him and americans are generally already souring on the united states taking an active role in the world so what she's getting at there is that uh, it's good news that he is not very persuasive to people outside of his base, but that the Republicans are starting to switch their loyalty from a interventionist foreign policy to more of a non-interventionist foreign policy because of Trump. And then she gets more deeply in, into this. It says, Pew Research finds that 8 in 10... Americans, that's 77%, including large majorities of both parties, say being a member of NATO is good for the United States. These numbers are essentially unchanged from April 2016. A plurality of the public, 42%, says NATO is about as important to the U.S. as to other NATO countries. About a third, 34%, say the alliance is more important to other NATO countries, while just 15% say it is more important to the U.S. However, the parties have essentially flipped sides when it comes to support for a more active foreign policy. Nearly half of Republicans and Republican-leaning independents say NATO is more important to other NATO countries than the U.S., only a quarter of Democrats and Democratic leaners say the same. It is now the Democrats who see more clearly the need for international leadership. So she's presuming that we need America to be the international leader on the stage. And she's saying that Democrats, it is now the Democrats who see more clearly the need for international leadership. So are the neoconservatives now going to start teaming up against their enemy? Donald Trump because he is trying to take America off the leadership stage in the world um, I'm con- I'm not convinced that he completely is but I do think that he is skeptical to those things and I personally think that's a good thing um, but the neoconservatives definitely don't think that and she's gonna she's gonna basically say that she's willing to you know ally herself with the Democrats because of that um, and I wonder if it's more that the Democrats are anti-Trump as much as they are anti-foreign intervention. That's what I'm curious about as well. So moving on. Today, 51% of Democrat and Democratic leaners say it's best for the country to be active in world affairs. These views have changed little since 2017, but in 2014, only 38% of Democrats said it was best for the future of the U.S. for it to be active globally. Among Republicans, 57% oppose a strong role in the world, while 37% say we should be active in the world. As Democrats attract more college-educated voters who favor active foreign policy and the GOP becomes a party of non-college-educated whites who don't favor active foreign policy. You can imagine that the trend will continue. Wow, she totally pulls out the Republicans are stupid and Democrats are smart card that, uh, that a lot of very liberal people try to use. And I'm not saying that Republicans are smart and Democrats are stupid. I'm just saying that that's just um, talking points. That's all I'm saying. Because, I mean, that's the stereotypical non-college-educated whites... I'm surprised she didn't say non-college educated white males, but that's just, um, that's just what I wonder. So anyway, um, she's making her case that says that Americans, you know, Democrats are the smart ones and that they are favoring an active foreign policy. I, I don't think, I mean, my personal view on younger Democratic voters not favoring or that they favor an active foreign policy, I just think they don't care. That's my feeling. I don't think that they favor an active foreign policy. I just think that they are oblivious to it. That's not on the front and center of their minds. That they're more worried about whether their friend should be accepted in the women's bathroom if he's a guy, or if she's a guy. I, I, hard to even say that, right? Um, I think that they're more worried about stuff like that, or um, you know, these social issues like you know, gay rights and so forth, uh, or. If, limiting people's speech that are on campus that they're saying things that they don't agree with. I think that they seem like... seems to me that they're more worried about stupid... Not stupid stuff like that, but, you know, things like that than America over there bombing people in Yemen. American drone strikes on wedding parties in Syria. I think that they're m- way more concerned about, you know, their own personal stuff. Oh, getting free college education. I think they're way more concerned about that kind of stuff than they are about anything to do with foreign policy because none of the democrats are making that a key part of their campaign i've done show after show on these democrats that are running for president and i mean andrew yang yesterday or yesterday i was researching him a lot and Nothing on his website mentions anything about foreign policy, having not foreign intervention or getting rid of the foreign interventionist foreign policy that we have. You look on Bernie Sanders' website, it's like the very last thing on his list of things. You look at Elizabeth Warren, same thing. They want to spend, spend, spend on this, this, and this. And the very last thing on their list is. anti-foreign interventionist foreign policy. And the reason why is because they know that their followers are not concerned about that issue. They're doing it as a more holding out a carrot to those few people that are nowadays that care about the, uh, the foreign policy. And then you have Tulsi Gabbard who makes that the primary thing on her campaign. That is the number one thing that she talks about is foreign intervention get a, a policy of peace among nations of america pulling out of these countries that's that's her number one campaign issue and she's having so much heart such a challenge to get traction on the ground among these younger people who are unless you tell them that you're going to get them free health care, unless you tell them that you're going to give them free college education, unless you're going to tell them that you're going to stick it to the rich man, that's the only thing that they care about. They don't care about this, um, the other stuff. They don't. They don't care about the foreign policy. So when this lady says Democrats attract more college-educated voters who favor active foreign policy, that's not true. They may attract more college-educated voters who just are oblivious to foreign policy. That's that's the truth of the matter. And that's my I mean that's my opinion, but you could do the research. I mean, there's a reason why foreign intervention is anti-war policy is not at the top of anybody's list that's a that's a leader in the in the democratic field right now. None of them. Beto O'Rourke, nowhere to be found. Nowhere. Joe Biden hasn't really declared, so you don't really know where he's at, but He was in the Obama administration, so if he says, no, now I'm anti-war, he has to go back on his boss and say something, you know, and he he can't do that. He cannot backtrack on it because he has an eight-year record of drone bombing. That's what he has. So, moving on. Overall, that comes out to 49% favoring a less active foreign policy, while 44% favor a more active approach. On one level, after a long war without a definitive ending and other foreign policy debacles, like the war in Iraq, failing to stop Syrian genocide when we could, you can understand why Americans might sour on an active foreign policy. One wonders, however, whether they oppose foreign policy engagement per se or military intervention. One clue comes from attitudes about our allies. A majority of Americans say, 54%, say the U.S. should take into account the interests of its allies, even if it means making compromises with them, while 40% say the U.S. should follow its own national interests, even when its allies strongly disagree. A wide partisan gap remains on how accommodating the U.S. should be towards its allies. A strong majority of Democrats and Democratic leaners, 69%, say the U.S. should compromise with allies, about half as many Republicans and Republican leaners, 35%, say the same. Trump's America first mantra does seem to be the watchword in the Republican Party these days. And yet, despite reluctant engage, reluctance to engage in the world, a substantial majority of voters know that the world would be worse off without the United States. A large majority of Americans, 64%, say the problems in the world would be worse without the involvement About 3 in 10, 29% say the U.S. involvement in the world generally hurts more than it helps. And despite their aversion to an active foreign policy, Republicans overwhelmingly think the world would be worse off. Currently, 76% say problems would be worse without the U.S. involvement, up from 60% three years ago. It's hard to know exactly what To make of these contradictory impulses, however, for politicians who understand how important that active engagement in the world is to our own security and prosperity, they might want to stress some specific ideas. So I'm not really going to get into those, but what she's trying to make the point is that Americans want America to be more interventionist across the world. I just, I honestly, I really think it comes down to the fact that most Americans are so i mean it's seventeen years sorry, eighteen years after nine eleven right now eighteen years after nine eleven and we've been in Afghanistan since then, eighteen years you've been in Iraq seventeen years in Iraq, and I think that most people just don't just they're kind of oblivious to it. They're kind of on autopilot. It's been so long. There's not, you don't hear casualties all the time anymore because there's just a U.S. presence there. There's not a huge amount of active fighting going on um, all the time. We figured out how to become trainers of these militaries more and support people with, you know, bombing raids and aircraft flyovers where they drop bombs on these people missiles and so forth they we figured out how to do that and let the ground troops of i you know iraqi military guys go in there and do the dirty work Um uh, afghanis do the dirty work but still america is running the operations in those places and also you have a lot of people now that are contractors that are doing a lot of this work also so you don't have Specifically, a lot of U.S. military deaths because of it. So it just doesn't seem like a problem anymore. And in that kind of world, I think that you have an American population that just doesn't care. And you can see that because on the Democratic side, none of them talk about that now. When, when Donald Trump talks about it, everyone criticizes him that he wants to get out of Syria the generals on the ground and John Bolton, you know, contradict him whenever he just says that he wants to get out. They contradict him on those issues. So and and he doesn't have I not that he doesn't have the backbone to do it, but he doesn't have the I don't know if he even has the ability to do it because of all of the pressure from everyone around him. And Scott Horton, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Scott Horton before, uh, but he has a show on uh, the Scott Scar- the Scott Horton show, but he wrote a book called um, "Fool's Errand: A Time to or Time to End the War in Afghanistan," and he wrote that book. But he also does interviews with lots and lots of reporters. I mean, I think, I think he's coming on five thousand interviews soon, and he's been doing this since the late '90s, I believe. And uh, he's probably one of the best speakers I've ever heard on foreign policy when he when he's speaking he knows the details the ins and outs of everything but uh one of the things that he says is that president like a president that says I'm pulling out of Afghanistan if things blow up in his face then when he when when he pulls the troops out then that's a loss for him it looks bad on his record it looks bad Going into an election year, it looks bad from every standpoint. So as long as they never pull out, they can never defeat... Or as long as they can never pull out and stay on top of it just enough, they can never claim victory, but they could also never um, be known as the one that got defeated. And that's just a, that's a sick scenario, in my opinion when we're in a world that's like that, but, um, it does, it's, it's not politically expedient at all for Donald Trump to specifically leave Afghanistan, leave Syria, at least leave somebody there. Because if things go south, then you look like George Bush, who had that drawdown at the end of his term in 2007. He had the drawdown in Iraq and, next thing you know you have you know the rise of the islamic state and the al-qaeda and the uh, al-qaeda in iraq takes takes over parts of parts of uh northwest iraq and then also into syria and then you end up having the isis come up so nobody wants to have that happen on their watch again so that's the fear that these guys have that it would not be politically expedient and that's why they never pull out so but when this lady says all this stuff, I mean, I think that Republicans are going to support, and especially his base, are going to support Do- Donald Trump on whatever he says. And that's why you have a lot of Republicans that are starting to sway towards that non-interventionist type foreign policy or have those views because they're just being told what, to, told what to think, right? Same thing with Democrats. Well, we hate Donald Trump, so we're going to go against whatever he says. Whether you know if he wants to pull out of Syria, we're gonna say that's a bad idea. You could see that when the press was talking about it before. Uh, whenever he was, whenever he talks about Syria, they say, "Oh, look at him, he's weak." But when he bombs Syria, oh, look at him, he's so presidential. It's amazing, right? Um, it's it's so totally contradictory to what they would have been saying under the Bush era. Bush is bombing the crap out of Iraq. He's bombing the crap out of crap out of Afghanistan and. Everyone's an anti-war Democrat at that point. Oh, Barack Obama gets into office. He is anti-war. He says, we're going to be out of Afghanistan. We're going to close up shop in Iraq. We're out of here. Eight years later, Democrats are now numb to the idea of of being anti-war. And you can, I mean, it's just amazing that eight years later, they're not that they're ant, that they're not anti-war anymore. Um, they're just they don't care about it anymore. It seems like to me. It's just it blows my mind. Now there are a few on the left that stayed that continue to be anti-war. Um, there's quite a few actually, I'm sure. But the mainstream groups, you know, of of these leftist activists, now their main concern is definitely not hey let's pull out of these wars. It's hey let's make sure that we. Um, can get equal rights for you know gays lesbians and transsexuals and let's make sure that we can um and don't get me wrong I I don't care what people do with their personal lives so that doesn't that I'm not saying that sarcastically I'm just saying it that you know these people are more concerned with who's going to be speaking on their campus next week and if they agree with them or not and if they don't agree with them then they're going to go out there and protest them than they are about Hey, we just bombed a village in in Yemen and killed, you know, 130 civilians. They just don't care. So this lady, I mean this this particular article, um I don't think it's good news that Trump's not very persuasive. I think it's bad news that Trump's not as persuasive as he should be because his natural reaction seems to be to pull out of Syria, pull out of Iraq, pull out of Afghanistan pull back from the world stage a little bit and he's not persuasive enough to make that happen so let's read the final chat or final paragraph in her and what she's talking about in any event democratic presidential candidates should understand that the country at large and democrats specifically don't see retreat from the world as a benefit nor do they think we can go it alone it's up to contenders for democratic nomination and to articulate a responsible vision of a post Trump foreign policy, so she's actually being a new conservative is rooting for the Democrats, um, which that's fine i don't I don't care either way. she can want Trump out she can want trump in i don't, i I honestly think that whoever is the president it's probably not going to make that much of a difference on the foreign policy in the first place right uh Trump's having a hard enough time getting out of there as it is, so that's not going to really it really won't affect too much change but <sighs> I like I said I don't think that Democrats um don't see retreat from the world as a benefit. I think that Democrats maybe just don't care about foreign policy as much anymore. I do think that they're probably more economically for you know, America not pulling back from the world economically and I think that she's probably mischaracterizing their idea of pulling back from the world militarily, uh, and saying that they're, that they're for America staying in this interventionist foreign policy. But I think that it's more likely that they are for uh not retreating from this world on the economic front. But anyway, that's just my opinion on those things. Um she definitely gets it wrong and but she's a she is a neoconservative, so Um, there's probably not going to be any changing her mind down the road. If she is listening to my podcast, Jennifer Rubin, go ahead and rethink your foreign policy, lady. All right? And uh, anyway, for my listeners, I appreciate you listening today. I really do. Uh, I want to kind of get into some foreign policy issues and find some of these candidates, uh, what they really believe when it comes to foreign policy, because that's one of my biggest concerns, because that's where a lot of the money in America goes, right? It goes to... The wars. It goes to foreign bases overseas. It goes to just this war state that we live in, with these, you know, the the weapons manufacturers, the bomb manufacturers, um, the airplane manufacturers, the jet plane. Like all these, so much money is going into the military industrial complex. And if all you did was cut that military budget by half let's say you're still spending more than the rest of the world combined right on our military and then that, all that money is freed up for what some people say we should use it for helping the poor some people say you should use it to cut taxes some people say, but what, what what can you use that money for at that point pay off the or start paying down the national debt things like that like there's lots of things that that money can be used for Rather than dropping bombs on people overseas. Trying to control and influence dictators overseas. Wouldn't that be nice to have that money back home? Back in Americans' pockets. Or at the very least, back in, I guess, in the government's hands to be used domestically. I mean, maybe build some bridges or whatever. Libertarians are kind of against that stuff, I know. But at least that money is not being just blown uh, blown up. At least that money is not being blown up. So anyway, I appreciate all my listeners. I do. And if you can go ahead and subscribe to the show, uh, stop what you're doing right now, hit that subscribe button. And then if you have some time, go ahead and give me a five-star rating and review and, uh, come on back tomorrow and keep on listening. All right. You can find me at eye on the empire and there you can, uh, see all the news and things that come up, uh, around the world as well. And, uh, come on back tomorrow and you'll have clear vision for 2020.